welcome new ID. So glad you're with us today on Christmas Eve. Let's stand together. We're going to worship our Lord and Savior. Come on. i 
Good afternoon, good evening. It's four o'clock. No one knows what that means anymore. Good to see you, New Life East. Merry Christmas to all of you. You guys look great. You're so festive. I'm wearing black. Good to see you. Uh, This Christmas Eve falls on the fourth Sunday of Advent, which means we have a lot of candles to light in an hour-long service, and we're going to make it happen. The first one we'll light is the Advent candle that's given to us just for this week. We'll light the Christ candle at the end of this service. If you've been around with us for the last few weeks, you know that Advent for us is this moment where we recognize that we stand between the coming of the Lord in two different ways. We recognize that he comes to us. He gives of himself as the very person of Jesus. And then we believe that one day we will experience him again, that he will come and right all of the wrongs of the world. And so we stand in the gap between those two. And there's a lot of time and a lot of space between those two. There's a lot of time for disappointment. There's a lot of time for pain. There's a lot of time for questioning, even asking, will God really show up in the midst of my life? And I love the way that Luke begins the narrative of the Christmas story. He says this, in the sixth month, 
of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin to be pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And then it says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And if that's not the great like longing of Advent to hope that we would hear the same thing, that the Lord is in fact with us. But maybe you look at your life, the conditions of it, even looking at the conditions of the world and you say, well, there's, I'm not sure that the Lord could be with me. Believe it or not, Mary was also quite pondering. She was pondering these words. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It can be hard to look at the state of our world, at the state of our lives, and to know that the Lord has promised to be with us. But what we know about our God is if he says it, it's true. So when God says that he promises to be with us, that he will be with us, that means that in the lowest of lows of your life, guess what? God is there. And in the highest of highs, in the greatest of joys, our God is also there. And we remember that as we come to sort of the conclusion of the Advent journey, that our God promises to be with us. And if he says it, it is in fact true. New Life Ease, let's continue to worship this evening.
out again. Christ lies heaven adored.
out in reverence. Church, this is the moment in our service where we give of our tithes and of our offerings. And uh, having kids in the room is such a blast. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, 
The holiday season just inherently gets our brains in the way of giving, right? We buy presents and we spend all year thinking about the gifts that we can give to those that we love. And then we also buy presents for the family members that we don't like as much, but it would be awkward not to give them a present in front of the whole family. So we do it anyways. But giving is just like ingrained into the idea of what the Christmas narrative is all about. It's the idea that God would the way we tell it is that it's the idea that God would give his son to us and that in his son, we would find freedom, we would find life, we would find all of that. But I think sometimes when we, when we say that God has given us his son, we sort of sell short what has actually happened in the Christmas story, which is that God has given of himself. Like he's poured out his very life, his very existence into the body of a human so that we might actually understand what it means for God to be with us. It's it's not that God has like pawned Jesus off on the world and been like, you guys hold on to him for a little bit. It's that God has like given of his whole and total self to be with us. And that's what generosity looks like. It's not just like a moment of giving something tangible. It's like the choice to live our lives in such a way that we continue to just give and give and give of ourselves. Even when we feel like we are at our wits end, even when we feel like we have very little to give, what it looks like to be generous is to continue to give of ourselves. And New Life East, I wanna say thank you because we've seen you as a church do that. And for those of you who are guests with us, when we give here, we do it because we don't just wanna you know, participate in some religious activity. It's to continue to mark our lives as people of generosity. If you wanna join with us, there's multiple ways that you can give, whether it's giving online or sending in something by mail or even dropping a physical gift off. But thank you for those of you who partner with us in generosity, your gift is a gift to see it played out in real time. So thank you for that. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory, I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad that you've joined us on Christmas Eve. We know it's a special night. We know it's meaningful for you to choose to say, hey, we're gonna be a part of a Christmas Eve service here. And so if you're a guest, we'd love to meet you and say hi. In, in the rows that you're in, there's some guest cards. We'd love it if you'd fill that out. Let us know that it's your first time here and you can bring that card with you to Connect Central. We actually have a gift for you as well. It's just our way of saying thank you for being a part of a service here at New Life East. Now we're gonna open up the scriptures here in just a moment. Pastor Andrew's gonna take us there. But before we do that, why don't you take a second to turn and say uh, Merry Christmas to someone around you. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. The Lord be with you. So good to have you in the room tonight. If this is your first time with us, uh, I'm delighted to have you in our house. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's a joy to have you worshiping with us tonight. You all look so amazing tonight. Give yourselves a hand for dressing up for Jesus. So good. My friend... Roger Call is on the second row over here. Roger wears black 364 days a year. 
but he shows up with plaid green red for Jesus on Christmas Eve. There must be a God. Give God praise, church. So good to see you all. People keep saying that all like afternoon people have been like, Pastor, you look really nice today. And I go, have I set the bar that low? I put on a tie and everybody's like, oh my gosh, what happened? But I'm so happy to have you here tonight. Um, I've been so moved all afternoon. Our first service was just so beautiful and second service so beautiful. I've been so moved thinking about what we're doing tonight. That what we're doing is we're sending our, centering our minds and our affections again, turning our attention again to that thing that is the great, C.S. Lewis called it the great miracle of the Christian faith that somehow God moved in among us while not ceasing to be God. <laughs> he came and he took up space among us. And what Christians believe is that that doesn't just happen in a one-time kind of way, but God keeps Godding himself into our midst. Every time we gather together, there's something about the miracle of the incarnation that happens over and over again. And so I, I just couldn't be more thrilled to be opening the scriptures with you tonight. I want to invite you to hear the words of the text of scripture from the evangelist Luke. You know the story well by now. But I'm going to read it. Um, and then I'm going to invite the spirit to come and just do something fresh among us. I have a few remarks that I'll make about it. And then we'll come to the table and we'll light some more candles without burning the place down. Hopefully, God help us. Hear the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 2. The scripture says that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everybody went to their own town to register. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I'll bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. That you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And so let's pray. The most honest prayer that I can pray before you right now. God, our Father, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, triune God, I'm asking that you would mess us up all over again with this miracle. There are some of us in this room that we have walked with you for decade after decade after decade, and it's all become a little stale for us. It's all become a little rote. It's all become a little routine. 
And I ask that somehow you would smash through all of that and that the kingdom's freshness would burst forth in us again. There are some of us here who our love has grown cold. The wonder has died. I pray that there would be a rebirth of wonder tonight. And there are some of us in here that we trust you only hesitatingly and some of us don't even trust you at all. I pray that somehow in the reading of these scriptures and the sharing of these words, that you would make yourself manifest Jesus the Lord and that you would provoke faith in the way that only you can. So come among us, we pray. We ask that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. We're gathered here tonight, friends, to worship Jesus. We're not here to explain him. We're not here to rationalize him. We're certainly not here to try to solve him. We are here to worship Jesus and to adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, the song we sang earlier. That's the invitation. And I sat on my porch a couple weeks ago trying to scratch out some thoughts for tonight. I read the texts over a few times, prayed a little bit, and then I pondered, what should I say? to the people who are gathered at New Life East on Christmas Eve 2023. And I will tell you that I was sorely tempted not to say anything at all. (laughs) Just leave the page blank. Wendell Berry, the great poet and Kentucky farmer, essayist, once said, try to make a poem, he said, that doesn't disturb the silence out of which it came. And I feel that way often about sermons. And especially on a night like tonight, that there is a sort of appropriate silence before a mystery that's as great as this one, like something right about that impulse to like like clap your hands over your mouth so that you don't say something foolish. And that's not because there's so little to say about Jesus, but because there's so much to say about Jesus. Because Jesus is so much. That's why we keep talking about him. One of my favorite bits of music is a choral piece by the American composer uh, Morton Lauridson. It's called O Magnum Mysterium. O Great Mystery is the English translation. And I set it as my alarm ringtone this time every year, every Advent. So that the first thing I hear every morning is this celebration of the mystery that's at the essential heart of Christian faith. And that I do this, Mandy can attest because she's very annoyed by my ringtone. At this point, these choral voices erupting at 4.30 in the morning. But I love the lyrics, and here they are translated into English. Oh, great mystery, the song goes. And wonderful sacrament. That angels should see, the, that animals rather should see animals. Should see the newborn Lord lying in a manger. Oh, blessed virgin, the song goes, whose womb was worthy to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it adds with this, ends with this exclamation, Alleluia. And every morning I listen to that song. Every morning I listen to it and I want to weep. Every morning I listen to it and I want to weep and I want to worship. And I love it because it doesn't explain the mystery. Okay? It just says the mystery. And then it calls us to the appropriate response, which is praise. That somehow the born out of wedlock, son of a refugee girl... The baby wrapped in rags and tucked away in a cave in ancient Palestine. The little Jewish bundle of joy, wailing and wet and desperately hungry. That that, like that boy, that baby, that he is the son of God. 
and he's worthy of our worship. Oh, come let us adore him. And it strikes me when I think about it that this is basically what the New Testament writers are doing, Luke included, that they almost never go out of their way to try to explain Jesus. Instead, they just show Jesus to us. They show him hungry and thirsty. They show him weak and needy. They show him full of deep compassion and boiling anger. They show him touching lepers and dining with sinners. They show him misunderstood and rejected. They even show him in the Garden of Gethsemane full of doubt about what he was supposed to do. And then they finally show him pinned up, bloody and bruised and screaming at the heavens to the hardwood of a cross. And then they look us dead in the eye and they say, this is your God. Oh, come let us adore him. And you know what's crazy to me is that we do. We keep coming back to him. We keep falling apart in front of him. We keep surrendering our hearts to him. We keep pouring out our worship on him. Why do we do it? I sat thinking about that question for a long time on my porch as I was preparing the message. I thought long and hard about it and I kept coming up with clever answers. Why is it that we worship this one as the son of God? And I finally concluded that the simplest answer to the question is also the best. And you know what that answer is? You know why we do it? Because it's true. That's why we do it. And long before we ever learn the words of the Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, our hearts grasp by faith what's happening in Jesus, that in him, God has come near to us, which says everything to us about God and everything about who God intends to be for us. This past summer, I took a trip to Uganda, Africa, first time there to Africa, and I loved it. I loved meeting the people. I loved learning and experiencing the culture. I loved witnessing what the Spirit was up to there. I got to preach uh, in one of their churches a three and a half hour long service. It's incredible. I was the second sermon of the day. Can you imagine what commitment? It's amazing. But I loved it. I loved every second of that. I loved everything that I experienced there. And when I came home, I immediately set to journaling about my experience. I didn't want to forget anything. And so I started writing about the people and the culture and the spirit's work and all that stuff. I didn't want to forget a single element of my experience. A couple weeks went by. And then I started sensing the spirit like pressing in on, on me. Like, Andrew, you're forgetting something. And I said, what am I forgetting? There's an experience that you left out, Andrew. Think. And so I thought and I thought. And I thought, I replayed all of the tape of my experience in my mind. And then I remembered. Sunday night, the last night that we had there in Namayemba, after a long week of ministry and a long morning of ministry, three and a half hour church service, and a long afternoon of visiting the home of one of the village elders there, we took a trip to a state-run hospital to see what people have to deal with in a place like that. And I just got to tell you, like, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And actually, as I sit here and try to describe it to you, I don't really have adequate words for what we saw. How bad the whole thing was. Tile roof falling in, debris all over the floor. Windows that had been punched out. Place looked like a complete war zone. And that's saying nothing of the people. Ward after ward of men and women, boys and girls and babies even. Suffering from all manner of injury and illness with not nearly enough medicine or staff. 
to help them heal many of them, maybe most of them, were doomed by circumstance. The medical staff there told us this, that they were doomed by circumstance to see their lives come to a painful, pitiful end in a state-run dump. I saw that. I saw those things. I saw those things and I didn't write about them, which I had to sit with for a long time. The prayer of the psalmist, you know, search me, O God. And I held that before the Lord. Like, why didn't I write about those things? And eventually it became really clear to me. You know why I didn't write about it? I didn't write about it because I disliked it. I disliked it because it was difficult for me. The sights, gosh, and the sounds of that place, the cries and the moans and the smells of the place. I was exhausted. I disliked it. It was difficult for me. And truth be told, I didn't want to be there and I couldn't get out fast enough. And do you know what the worst part of it was? Like what I really disliked about the whole thing? I disliked that I disliked it. Ever experienced that? Where you hate something that you know you're actually supposed to, you're like your heart's supposed to be moved into, but you don't. And so you hate yourself for kind of hating the thing. That's what I experienced. And I had sat there before the Lord with this and I kept thinking like, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Like, I'm supposed to love this stuff. I'm supposed to be good at this stuff. When they say, let's go to the hospital where people are sick and dying, I'm supposed to be the first to raise my hand and want to charge in to that. And instead, I held it at arm's length in my heart and nearly blocked it completely from my mind. And it would have been if the Spirit hadn't reminded me, why did I do that? Here's why. Because sometimes I think the wounds of the world, the pain of the world, the dysfunction of the world, I think it's too much for us humans (laughs) I think it's too much even sometimes for us pastors. And when I realized what I'd almost done, blocking those poor people in their pitiful situation from my mind, I was so embarrassed that I started crying, God, forgive me. Now hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast, Isaiah asks, or have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, the Lord says, I will never forget you. Here I am, a human being, experienced this thing, wanting to block it out of my mind, subconsciously forgetting it. And the Lord says to his people, doesn't matter what you go through, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you experience, I will never, ever forget you. So here's the good news tonight, friends, and hear me clearly. God is better than we are. And Jesus is the human God clad in our flesh. He will never forget us. He will never hold us at arm's length. He will never recoil from our suffering. He will never run from our pain because he is God with us and he is better than us. And if you ask the question, why do we worship him? Why do we adore him? I say that it's because of that. Because of who he is. He's God with us. And so tonight I'm wondering where you are. As you come to the end of a year, as you sit here in this place and worship the incarnate one among us, I wonder where you are. I wonder how you locate yourself. I wonder how you might be telling the story of your year, of what's happened in your world. Luke says that Jesus was born in and around Bethlehem. The Hebrew is Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's David's royal city. It's a place with great lineage and great history, a place that's full of great promise. I was just there two springs ago. It's an amazing place with all kinds of history. And right now, if you've been following the news, you know that Bethlehem, the house of bread, it lies in ruins. 
It's been reduced to poverty and rubble. It's a burning pile of ash, and it's mostly deserted. And it's worth considering, friends, tonight, as we begin to make the turn into communion, it's worth considering that that place was the place that God chose to come in flesh. It's the place where the angel said to a group of Bedouin shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. That that place is the place where the heavens were ripped open above the hills and the heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Guys like Bethlehem is where that happened. That Bethlehem, the Bethlehem you're reading about in the news, that was the place where the gospel was first preached. And I think that maybe... Just maybe tonight God is saying something to us in that. That maybe he's telling us that the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, is truer than we ever thought possible. That maybe God's commitment to come and rebuild David's fallen tent until new wine drips from the hills, that it's both for Bethlehem, God help them. But it's also for us. Maybe he's telling us to put it as simply as possible. Maybe God tonight is just telling us that he loves us, that he's actually, really, actually for us. And that in Jesus, he's with us until the end of the age to renew our lives when everything seems lost. What if that were true? And so tonight I want to ask you one more time, where are you? How do you find yourself? And we're going to come to the table of the Lord here. And I want to just invite you to close your eyes as you prepare your heart for communion here. And I want you to think about the last year of your life and how you would tell that story if you had to tell that story. And I know that there are some of you that are among us tonight that if you told the story of your year, it would read a lot like the story of Bethlehem, a place that's full of promise but has been reduced to rubble and ash. Some of you, that's the state of your marriage tonight. With that relationship that was full of so much hope and promise and expectation, it feels like God has forsaken it. And some of you, that's the way that you would narrate the story of your relationship with your kids tonight. Or maybe with your relationship with your brothers or your sisters or a friend. That a place that was full of promise all of a sudden is bereft, it seems, a promise and of hope. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe tonight you're in a place where you describe your body in that way. That your body was once strong and good, but you've taken hit after hit after hit physically, and it just has you so encouraged and so down that your life, your body feels like a Bethlehem. Maybe that's you. Maybe for you it's your finances. Maybe it's your mental health tonight. I don't know what your thing is tonight, but I want to invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts for communion and this is the whole thing like we're preaching the gospel tonight and the gospel is this that God has come to those places in the same way that he was born in a cave outside of Bethlehem in the same way that the advent of his presence always comes to every place that that feels God forsaken in the same way that at the end of Jesus life he cries out in God forsakenness and somehow he fills even that with his presence that he's with us and he's for us tonight and so friends I want you just to hold your life in your hands just like this Jesus, we say, come. Jesus, we invite you. We welcome you. Oh, come, let us adore him. We trust that tonight you are who you say you are, that you're the son of the living God, wrapped in human flesh, come to save us. And so we welcome you into every broken place, every desolate place. 
We welcome you into every place that feels like it's God forsaken and abandoned. Please come. And right now I speak you into all of those places. Right now I speak you, Lord Jesus, into every marriage that feels like it is on life support. Lord Jesus, come, breathe it back to life. Into every relationship that has gone sideways, pour out your reconciling power. Into every body that needs healing, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Come with your healing tonight. For all of those who are among us who are disturbed by mental illness, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, we pray that those who are living in darkness, that they would see great light granted. And we pray tonight for Bethlehem. And we pray for Israel. We pray for Palestine. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for the wars that are raging in West Africa. We pray for all of the places where there is no peace tonight. Prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting Father, would you come with your kingdom and your power and your glory tonight, we ask. And we remember before you that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, take this bread and take this cup tonight. And we pray that you would communicate your presence to us by it that we would meet you exactly the way that we need to meet you tonight at the table. Grant that, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, we invite our servers to come forward to serve communion tonight. Communion will be on my right and my left up front. If this is your first time with us, communion is for all of those who have faith in their heart that Jesus is Lord. If that's you, we welcome you to the table tonight. You'll come row by row up the center aisle. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the juice and take it as you head back to your seat. And then in just a few moments, Pastor Rory will come up and lead us in the last part of our service. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God and they're given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and never pine till he appeared and the soul felt its
Christmas is it's a holy moment. It's a holy holiday, but it's also probably the most human holiday that we have. If, uh, like, honesty hour here, um, having kids in the room, I didn't hear most of what Andrew said in his sermon. And I know there are those of you who are also thinking the same thing, so you're welcome. I got you. I realized, though, like, I, at a certain moment, I wasn't, I wasn't really paying attention. I was just, like, watching our daughter, and if you were sitting on this side of the room, she was being entertainment for everybody. I was just watching her. She was, like, running around in circles. She was at one point reclining on the chairs and I I realized, like I had this voice in the back of my head was like, we are talking about God right now, you should listen. We're talking about God. And I was like, yeah, but I'm infatuated with this child. (laughs) And if that's not Christmas, I don't know what is. Like we're talking about God, but I am infatuated with this child. I think about the part of the Christmas story where the magi, the wise men come to see Jesus. There's just this one little line in the beginning of Matthew and it says this. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. We're talking about God, but we're looking at a child. That's not the great paradox of Christmas. I don't know what is. And what we know about this child is that the way that the scriptures would refer to him is that he is not just an ordinary child, but that he is in fact the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And so friends, we come to this moment every year where what we do is we remember that that is more than just a metaphor, but that that is real life. We are talking about God, but we are looking at a child, and that child is the light of the world. Would you continue to worship with us as we pass the light around? Oh. Uh-huh. 
Maybe this is my favorite moment in the church year. There's just some magic about it. And I don't know where you are tonight, but I do want to say to you that Jesus is here now. He's here now. He's among us. And you know what that means? It means that whatever you're in the middle of, you're going to be okay. And I don't know who needs to hear that tonight. I don't know who feels like they're at the end of the line, the end of the story, the end of their rope, but you're not, not with Jesus. John says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome it. Jesus is here now and you're gonna be okay. It's a new life he's to say over you tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Now we better blow these candles out before some kid lights some other kid's hair on fire and we have a real mess on our hands. Let's extinguish our candles together. So great to worship with you tonight. I hope that you enjoy your Christmas Eve. Thanks for coming to be with us and you enjoy your Christmas day uh, tomorrow. And what else do I have to say? We're back in here next Sunday, single service, 10 a.m. It's gonna be great. Have a great Christmas week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.